Shalom from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to Conversations with Yael Podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each month, I will invite leading thought leaders, pastors, rabbis, and other influential guests to discuss the importance of Israel in the world today. For those familiar with my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, which explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith, this podcast takes that understanding and translates it into ongoing support for Israel among Christians and the critical need to nurture that support with the next generation of Christians. Join me now as we begin this important dialogue. Thirteen years ago, a pastor from North Carolina made a life-changing decision to answer God's call in Genesis 12-3 to bless his children by helping bring Jews back to their biblical homeland, Israel. Four years later, this pastor asked his church, Hope Community Church in Winston-Salem, to join him in this prophetic work. At that time, Bishop Paul Lanier set a goal of raising $1 million, and I remember when he told me this. I thought to myself, I talked to a lot of crazy people, and he just might be crazy, but I could tell from talking to him that God is with him and that he was going to meet that goal. What resulted from this simple decision has been nothing short of miraculous. Together, Bishop Paul Lanier and his flock have raised more than $1.5 million and have brought more than 4,200 Jewish souls back to Israel. And this is just the beginning. It is my great honor to bring back to the podcast Bishop Paul Lanier, who since answering that call 13 years ago has gone from being a generous, faithful donor of the fellowship to joining our board of directors four years ago and then becoming our chairman in September 2019. Since taking that role, I have never seen anyone lead us with such grace passion, and commitment. My personal mentor and friend, Bishop Paul Lanier, welcome to my podcast. I couldn't tell you how how grateful I am to be here, Yael. Thank you for letting me share this moment. Well, let's pray. Beloved God of heaven, only you could orchestrate such moments in a myriad of miracles. We have this moment technologically, I don't understand what we do, we're doing, but you do. It's a miracle. And the chasm between Jews and Gentiles, Christians, only you could make this work. And so we're sitting here this morning easily, having casually having a conversation in the midst of miracles. We're, we're just taking a stroll through miracles this morning. And I ask that you touch our minds to not only think clearly, you know how much that means, but touch our minds to think as one, to move in unity, to speak words of agreement. Not that we, not that it means everything is the same, but that people will sense the unity or the lack thereof. And I ask that you even now prepare the hearts of Edna in Iowa, in the hearts, all the people who are watching or, or listening later on, prepare their hearts to receive something they're not prepared for that encourages them to move in the direction of God. And that ultimately is the essence of faith. We give you praise and glory. Amen. Uh, it is my honor. I, I always say that when you open with prayer, I always want that to be the entire call. I want to hear you pray for hours because there's something that it just, you move my soul when you open your mouth. And so I want to well, know, I know. I think part of that is is because you're such a person of faith. I'll never forget what mm -hmm. your father said to me one time. He said, yeah, El is far more devout than I am. And that, that moved me. And what you're leading is not simply a humanitarian effort. It is a ministry. And so it's not surprising that prayer moves us so deeply. It's the oxygen of what we're doing. 
Amen. Amen. And it, it, it's funny for me to hear that my father said that because everything I learned about prayer was from him. I was actually just telling my husband, I said, you know, sometimes my husband and I, after we put our four beautiful sleeping kids to sleep and we get to go down to the kitchen and pour a cup of tea and we sit and we just say, wow, look at this life. How did we get yeah. here? How are we so blessed? And I always say, Bishop Lanier, it's because of the prayers of my father that I saw the way he prayed and it's in his merit that I am living in Israel, that I have this amazing family, that I have the strength and wisdom and dare I say humbleness to lead this ministry. So um, when you talk about prayer and my father saying that about me, I say, I'm, I'm just a midget on the shoulder of a giant. <laughs> well, you know that ours is the God of Abraham, not the God of Abraham or Isaac or Jacob but he speaks intergenerationally and it's full. I think sometimes, I think sometimes people live longer lives and God is waiting for their next generation to tap into the conversation. Wow. And so you're so right about the, the blessing of your children and the, the, what they're moving. It, it is a blessing, but it's not, it's not a miracle in the sense that it's no surprise in the spirit realm. God fully mm -hmm. intended for this to be Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Rebecca and Leah and Rachel. Amazing. And, and I think um, I only personally am able to receive from somebody who lives the teachings that they preach. And I was so moved to see your family as always, but especially on Christmas, seeing your daughter yeah. lead the next generation at Hope, seeing her dancing and preaching yes. and seeing your son come back from his travels around the world yes. after he's ministering and praying and bringing so much blessing to people around the world. And your wife who in her brilliant and humble way is always leading the path. When you speak Bishop you about that, that intergenerational promise, you live it. <laughs> uh, we're so blessed, Yael. We're so blessed. We are so blessed. And I know one of the biggest blessings that you consider on your life is the ability to be part of biblical prophecy coming to fruition. Yes. And so I want to know what drew you to answering this call from God on your life of partnering with him to be part of this prophecy of bringing the Jewish people home. Do you remember when God first spoke to you? I do. And you're going to have to forgive me because I, uh, when, when you and I get together or when I'm talking to other people, so many people about, about the fellowship I share this same story, and so I know it's redundant, but if people can say so many negative things over and over, I got no problem Amen. praising God for, for great things over and over. But I was I came downstairs one Sunday night. You know, we, we worship on Sundays. On Sunday nights can be a it can be a real a crash time because of it's been a busy day, a wonderful day, but a busy day, and at three in the morning I'm I'm sitting on the sofa and I'm seeing all these commercials and infomercials and there's this, I, why, I, well, I'm just going to say I don't know why, but I do know why. But I stopped on this infomercial, and, and there's this man standing there, and, and the, the script beneath him on, on the screen said that he was a, identified him as a rabbi. Mm. Well, forgive me for, for profiling, but I didn't think he looked like a rabbi, and, and I don't know what I, I imagined, and, but he didn't look like a rabbi. But what grabbed me almost immediately was where he was, and he was in Ukraine, and I didn't know what in the world the situation was, because I'd never seen anything like it, but he's in this room that's so cold I could feel it, and he's with this woman I'll call her Anna because I tend to call all of these precious ladies either Anna or Edna. And, but she's, she's speaking in her language and she's moaning and groaning because she's known too much pain in her life. And not only the Holocaust that she had been a part of and what she had seen in her own nation, but the decades of deprivation and loneliness and, and all of that. And here this rabbi from Israel comes and steps into her story and then he opens the, the door and invites me to, to come in and so when listening to him it's the most listening to your father watching that moment I smelt the stench 
that he was talking about because of his ability and the anointing of God upon his life. And he was able to let me feel the cold that she was suffering. I began to worry. What am I going to eat? Because I saw the deprivation, maybe a cabbage, maybe a potato. She would take the pot and put it up of snow and, and watch it melt. And finally she had water to it. I, I have physically never been to Ukraine, but I'm telling you that night, that morning, three in the morning, he brought me to Ukraine, opened the door, invited me in, and then looked at me and said, you want to help? You want to be a part of this? And I often say that when I was watching him, he helped save my soul. And that's a big phrase for Christians because of our context and, and our scriptures about Jesus. But I'm telling you, this rabbi, uh, Yechiel Eckstein, of blessed memory, um, he reached and he identified something in my soul and identified something missing that was not only an opportunity but it was an indispensable necessity for me to uh, to feel it, to know it, and to join him. And so that's how I began personally the whole conversation. It was it was with a man I'd never met, never imagined I would ever be in the same room with him. I didn't know he had a daughter or daughters. I didn't know where he was living. It. I knew absolutely nothing except this man needed help and gave me the impression that if I responded at that immediate moment, Anna was going to be warmer in 15 minutes. Anna was going to have something to eat in 15 minutes. Her life was going to change. And I was coming to her aid at that moment. And I still believe that's possible. I still believe every time I give, I'm stepping somewhere in the world and helping a Jew. Yes. How amazing. It's it's inspiring and encouraging for me to hear your testimony because around twice a year for the past 15 years, I've been going to Ukraine and visiting the Annas and the Olgas. And what I always um, what I always see is that ah, these people literally have nothing, and it's hard to relate to it from our privileged Western lives. Yes, that yes. I learned to always go with extra gloves because the first time I went to Ukraine, <laughs> I went into Olga's house and she didn't have gloves. And I was wearing gloves. How can I wear gloves and not give her mine? And so I gave her my gloves and I almost got frostbite the rest of the wow. trip because wow. I, I couldn't feel my hands. But I said, How could I leave Olga without gloves? And my prayer, Bishop, is always the prayer that my father had, which is let people not close their eyes and their hearts mm. to this reality. Because it's hard to see Anna and Olga. It's hard to see all these people and believe there are elderly right now who don't have water, who don't have food, who don't have anyone to care from them. And as we were talking, I remembered my previous trip to Ukraine. And I hope this year we'll have the opportunity to go together to Ukraine and do these yes. visits. But it reminded me of my previous trip to Ukraine that I was told that there was an issue. There was, we were in Kiev and there were two different elderly. One elderly was an hour drive in one direction and the other elderly was an hour drive in the opposite direction. And they said, who are we going to visit? Because it's oh. an hour drive to get to just oh. one person. Wow. And I said, we're going to both. We'll get back at 11 o'clock at night. I don't care. And someone looked at me and said, we're going to drive 10 hours and spend that much time on the road wow. with the people, collecting the food, collecting wow. all the goods, just to bring two people aid. And I said, if we don't, will they have what they need? And if the answer is no, that's what we're doing. And we went from early in the morning going and picking up more food and picking up more blankets and picking up wood because they don't even have a heater. They need to have wood for their fireplace and picking up all the different things that we needed. And we drove for almost four hours to bring two people the aid that they need. But you know what? That saved their life. And that's I watched when you. I, said, I watched yeah. you stand there. I watched you mm. at the, in the road on, 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 when you brought that to us, just like your father had done. And I watched you standing there, getting out of the truck, 
getting in the road and saying, you know, down that road is a group of Jews, down that road is a group of Jews, both in, what are we going to do? And I never, I never forgot that, that what are you going to do when in both, from both directions, there's desperate need? And that's exactly what my father taught me. Leave no one behind. If God is showing you the need, it means you were put there in order to help. Wow. Wow. That's that's that's, that's, Bishop. That's huge right there, Yael. If God is showing it to you, why? Right. Why did he let you see that and not someone else? It's because he's put it within you the capacity to make a change, to respond. Wow, that's huge to me. And so I think you've gotten clearly this calling, but when you were looking at your TV screen after a long day of preaching, of inspiring, of holding everyone else up, and suddenly you saw these needs across the world in Ukraine, and God obviously put it on your heart that you were called to help, how did you then go back to Hope Community Church in Winsome-Salem and tell them, Olga, Anna, in Ukraine, they need our help. You know, Yael, I'll tell you something. I was stunned when when I looked and and our people in Chicago, you know, keep such great records. But I was stunned when I realized that I think it was like four years maybe between the time that my wife and I and our family started giving between that moment and the time our congregation started giving. I I don't know what I was waiting on. I have no idea what took me so long, why I didn't connect the dots. And, uh, but when I look look at it now, I realize, and and give me just a moment here, because this is huge for me to get from A to B, is that after I personally began a conversation with what God was doing in Israel, when it became a part of my my living faith, it wasn't long after that that, that my sister, Kathy, who would have looked like a twin to me except she was beautiful, and we were very, very close, and she was stricken um, with, uh, with cancer. And, and then not long after that, I, I, I was diagnosed with renal cell carcinoma, kidney cancer. And so I'm in the hospital. I'm having surgery. She gets on the phone. She can't come see me. She's at the at the place where she was in Chicago, uh, the, the treatment center place there. And she couldn't come see me because her system was compromised with chemo. And um, that was rattling me. Uh, that was really hitting me really, really hard. And I had a moment. If you contact me on a Thursday evening, I'm going to, 99.9% of the time, I'm going to be with our congregation because our midweek service gathers on Thursday night. It's it's inevitable. Everyone who knows me knows that. But one Thursday night, I I was in such a bad place in my head and heart. I was, I was really wrestling. Uh, I won't say I was wrestling, uh, against God. I was in God wrestling. And uh, I said to my family, you're going to have to go on to church. I I can't do this tonight. I'm staying home and I need to pray and I need to whatever. And they left and it was about seven o'clock. I plugged my phone into the wall and I thought nobody's going to call me because they all know where I am. They know I'm at church. They assume I am. And I went into a kitchen. You know, everybody's got your space where you walk it out. And I'm walking through that kitchen and I'm having a conversation with the Lord that's very direct. And I'm saying to him, Lord, you promised that if I would, if I would in some way help take care of your family, your children, that you would be here for mine. And I'm doing everything I can for Isaac. I want to be there for Jacob. As much as I understand, I'm doing everything I... And I don't see you. I'm looking, but I don't see you for Kathy. And I don't hear you, and I'm listening like never before. And while I'm having this very, the phone rings, and I'm like, who's calling me on Thursday evening at 7-ish? Why would they call me? They know I'm in. But I go to the wall where my cell phone is plugged in and juicing up, and there's a number I don't recognize 
and I think, ah, go ahead and answer it. And I said hello, and I, it was either a bad connection or it was because it was such long distance, it was an international call, you could just tell that sound, like AM radio used to be, you know, at night. Right, right. And it had that, had that, yeah, this glorious, and there was a man started speaking with a very strong accent, and I had to listen very attentively to to get it. He gave me his name, but I didn't understand it. And But he said to me, he said, is this Paul? I said, yes. And he said, I'm calling you from Jerusalem. And Rabbi is praying in the morning for the needs of the people of the fellowship. And I'd already been giving as an individual. And I'm calling to ask you if you have, if you I'm calling to ask you how I can pray with you. Mm. My back was against the wall in every possible way. And I I feel it now. I literally slid down the wall slowly until I was sitting on the floor. I have no idea what I said to the man. Lasted a minute or two. I hung up and thought, who do I tell this to? All my people at church, except my daughter. And both of my children, my daughter, you know both my kids. My daughter, I, I don't know Kaylin, them, I love them. <laughs> they adore you. My daughter, Kaylin, and Paul, both of them are graduates from Regent University. And at that time, Kaylin was a student. So I thought, I'm going to call Kaylin. I call her KB. She's my KB baby, but... I said, I'm going to call KB. And so I called her and she was walking from class to the dorm. And she said, Daddy, can you give me a second to get in the car so I can hear you better? And so I gave her a moment and she could tell something. She said, Daddy, what is wrong? I said, nothing, baby, nothing's wrong. But I need you to hear me. I said, there's coming a moment in your life when you're going to look for God and you don't see him and you're going to listen for his voice and you won't hear him at that moment. But baby, you are in covenant with that God, our God of Israel. Mm-hmm. And you need to know because you are in covenant, he's going to speak to you if he has to wake up a Jew in the Middle East at two in the morning that had just happened to me. I remember him saying it's two in the morning here in Israel and Jerusalem. I said, you're in covenant with Israel because of what your family's doing with the fellowship. Because of our conversation with God through the fellowship, God is in a conversation with you and your family. And if he has to wake up a Jew in Jerusalem, he'll do whatever he's got to do to have someone to speak to let you know he's there. Things went south with my sister before she stepped beyond the veil to see the face of God. And I began fasting and thankfully you've embraced fasting so much in your life. And then, and you lead this fellowship in fasting and that's a big deal. And that's a whole other conversation. But I stepped into a fasting conversation with the Lord. And for the next year or two, I, I, I stretched it and expanded it till I got to 40 days with just water. I don't recommend that or ask anybody to do that. Don't ever do that unless you hear God tell you to do that and then make him repeat it. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> I did, I, I did 40 days with just water. Yeah. At the end of that time, everything had doubled in our ministry, attendance, giving everything. I didn't do it for that reason. I was working through some stuff in my own conversation with the Lord. What was amazing, it was during that time, I finished a fast on March 31st, 2013. That was the big fast, what I call the great fast for me. It was in that time that what God had started in me personally expanded to a pastoral conversation Mm. and this people of hope. During the 40-day fast, we started moving congregationally towards. So thank you for the time to share that, but it's that's how we got there. That is amazing. And putting together that 40 days, just like Moses was up on Mount Uh, Sinai for 40 days, and then he was able to come down and share God's word with the people. You were in fasting for 40 days, and it was during that time that your people heard God speaking through you. 
And, and that's what he, God did with Elijah. He did yes, with Elijah and he yes. met an, an Edna. He met an ogre and he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights in his life. And the, and then he says to a woman, a, a, a widow woman, God wants to do something generationally in you and He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and your life and your son. If you yes. will become a part of what God's doing in me, God is going to change your narrative as well as a family generationally. Unreal. And what I hear as a string that connects all of your stories, Bishop, is, is your realness. And one of my favorite quotes is um, from a Hasidic rabbi that lived hundreds of years ago who said, there's no problem in questioning God. Just don't do it behind his back. That when you have questions, bring it to God. And when I hear your story, that is, that's what God doesn't ask us not to question, not to complain. He just asks us not to do it behind his back. And when we bring our troubles and put them on him, you get that call from Jerusalem. You see God meeting you and speaking to you in return when you have a real conversation with God. And so I believe that everything that you've done in your life, Bishop, is prophetic, that that you are there in conversation with God and God invites you at different times in your life to join him in different missions to make this world better, whether it's creating hope. And we didn't even speak now of when you created hope in the midst of tragedy of your family after losing baby hope that you created this church and from raising your children to giving them the messages that they need to giving hope and the world the messages they need to, I believe, being sent for such a time as this to lead the ministry of the fellowship and being our chairman and, and having us all follow behind. And so we've covered so many topics already. And um and, and one of your passions that every time, just uh, a few weeks ago, I was on the tarmac in Tel Aviv. And I've been greeting Aliyah flights for over 15 years. And it is the same feeling as that first time when I see the airplane overhead and someone says, oh, that's the Aliyah flight. And I watch it and I watch the, the, the boots on the ground, the wheels touch the ground of Israel for the first time. And I could see all of those Olim clapping and dancing and the music and the pilot on his uh, call button saying, welcome home to wow. Israel and as we have wow. the music playing and the fellowship volunteers dancing and watching the Olim get off <laughs> those airplane and kiss the ground of Israel for the first time. It's something that doesn't get old. And I know that this is another area that God has not only put on your heart to pray about or act about, but I, I feel like it's part of your DNA, Bishop. So I'd love to hear about that process as well. Well, you know, you know, Hebrew means crossover, mm -hmm. and um, whether it was Abraham crossing and Moses and and Joshua, and Aliyah is a crossover moment. It's it's coming through the Red Sea. It's going through the Jordan, um, and to be able to. To, to something as, as, as uh, it may not sound spiritual, I'm going to buy an airline ticket. And yet you just, you just stepped into something, maybe perhaps the most prophetic moment of your life when, when we do that here. We gave to Holocaust survivors. That was huge for me. We, we, we had a, a, a Shabbat cafe. That was huge to me. But the more I watched and listened years ago, the more I realized for me personally, the most uh, prophetic thing I can do uh, in this era, this age we're living in, is to help Jews wherever they are to come mm. home mm. and uh, to make Aliyah, uh, to help there be, you know, it's it very profound for me two or three years ago. It just, I kept thinking, saving Jewish lives, saving Jewish lives. we got to save Jewish lives. And to be able to, to help find Jews throughout the world and to get them on a plane 
and to bring them to Israel. I, I don't have proof of this, but I believe somehow or another that the Lord would just scribble my name, your name, in the, in the, especially the, 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 the Gentiles, the Christians. He scribbles our name in Jewish prophecy every time we help a Jew come home. Your name is scribbled over 4,200 times, Bishop. <laughs> I love it. Good. I'm just, I remember I when it. I called you and I, I yes. you know, of course, I, I, uh, I, we're always in touch and I'm always looking to you yes. for guidance and instruction and vision. And, and I left when I, as soon as I heard that you reached your million dollar mark, I left you a message and I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to do something more official soon. But I just yeah. have to tell you, you reached the million dollar mark. And this is amazing. This is awesome. And and you left me a message back, and you said, and if we could re- do one million, if God could do this through us, there's yes. no reason why we can't do two. And if we could do two, there's yes. no reason why we can't yes. do three. And if we can't do three, yes. there's no reason why we can't do four. And once we yes. reach four, God could make five happen. And it yes. happened to be that my daughter was exactly in the car when I was <laughs> listening to that message on the Bluetooth. And she looked at me, and I remember her eyes were full of faith, <laughs> godliness, and truth. And she looked at me, and she said, Mommy, who was that that just taught us the secret of how to be awesome? <laughs> and he said, my honey, that was Bishop Lanier, and you are exactly correct. He taught us the secret of how to be awesome. So could you tell our listeners, Bishop, what is the secret to having the deep faith that you have that despite life not always being easy, you've seen tragedy, hardship. I know even within the hardship, you see it as a blessing. You care for your amazing mother. And I know I'm continuously praying for her. And just to see your obedience and faithful, loving heart within times that most people, honestly, Bishop, would look up to God and say, I'm done. You look up to God and you say, I am here, your servant. How do you keep that faith? Well, as you know so well, our David said, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. And we don't like hell. We don't like anguish, darkness, crises. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I I won't be afraid. Because you are with me. Why? Mm -hmm. Because you're with me. And, you know, he says, if I take the wings of the morning or dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Every test, as much as we despise it, and moving towards this, people will say a testimony, as much as we despise those moments, it can become, if we, if we posture ourselves, it can become an extraordinary opportunity to reveal God to somebody who may never see God in any other way. They won't go to synagogue. They won't go to church. They, they don't own a Bible. And it's not so much who you are on the mountain that reveal, but what's your confession in the crisis? Can you tell me how to deal with the worst of my life? If that is your God, I want to know more. Hmm. Um, and your baby girl, you know, with that angelic face, I, I could just see it. Um, the the key to, to that for all of us being uh, amazing or whatever her perfect word was, awesome. is be- awesome. Is <laughs> believing our beliefs. And most of us can speak a creed, which is, you know, I believe we can speak our creeds, but can you, can you walk that talk? Can you live it out in the absolute worst place, time, situation? Um, and when I was sharing with you there, because there's no shortage. You know, when you go to cash registers here in the States, they got these signs that say there's a coin shortage. No, there's not. 
I mean, what is there? Is there is there something in the universe that just sucked all the coins up towards heaven, or is there a hole in the earth that just sucked them down beneath somewhere we can't find them? Somebody took them coins, and so there is no money shortage. I mean, it, it's, it's somebody's got it, and there's no. It's not a. It's no greater miracle for God to give you a hundred dollars, which is a lot of money to give you a thousand dollars, which is like, what? To give you a million dollars. And we sit back and say, oh my goodness. But this is God who owns the cattle of a thousand hills and the hills that they're upon. And in the Christian scriptures, there was a man by the name of Paul. And he made this statement that's so powerful for me. He says, God gives seed to the sower. In other words, the person who's already out there spotted that piece of property, tilling back the dirt, making something accessible, got the water ready. The person who's already engaged in that moment, God will give the seed. So you hear folks say, oh, I wish I would win that lottery. I'd give a lot of money. No, you wouldn't. If you won't give now, you wouldn't give then. Money doesn't change people. It reveals who we are. And so it's, it's, if you can't, if I can't do something when I got $10, I won't do it when I've got a hundred. And so as, as, as Paul was saying that, that really hits me to where if, if I will give to the Lord as we, in 2009, I think is what you were saying. And then 2013 with the congregation, we didn't have a million dollars. Uh, that was the silliest to a lot of people, the silliest statement to be able to make. If I'm looking at it from potential, right. I don't have the potential to do that. Right. But what God is calling us to, uh, what God is calling us to do, He wants to put us in a place where only He can sustain. He wants to do something and call us to do something so bizarre, so awesome, so extraordinary that everyone knows when it's done, it was the Lord who did this thing. You don't have what it takes. It was pure God that did this thing. And so when I made that statement, if, if, if you can do one, you can do two. And I hadn't planned it, and I'd never spoken those words before in my life when I said that to you a few days ago. If you if you can do one million, you can do two. And we're at 1.5. We'll be at 1.6 in like three months. If you can do one, you can do two million. If you can do two, you can do five. You can do five, you can do ten. But now, but the but the big thing is, Yael, is it doesn't start, for most of us, it doesn't start with one million. It starts with $25. Yeah. Can I... Woo, I got a power bill coming up, electricity bill. I got a car payment. My child's tuition is coming up. I got food. If I can get to the point to where I'm able to 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 step back from $25, if I will put that seed in the ground, the Lord will miraculously, all of a sudden you got $50 to do a seed. And then all of a sudden it's $100 to where three years, five years from now, you're doing something and you say, I can't believe, how did you start giving so much money? I didn't start giving so much money. I started giving from where I was and God faithfully took me to an, a, another space in that conversation. Yes, yes. This week I <laughs> spoke to, I've, I'm like every word you're saying, I'm, I'm holding on to. Earlier this week, I called a woman, um, a fellowship friend who 13 years ago said, I, by the end of my life, I'm going to bring 100 Jewish people home <sighs> to Israel. And this is a woman who lives on social security, who gives her (laughs) very, very, very generous, but relatively small tithes to the fellowship. And she said exactly what you said. If every time I'm able to give $20, I give $20. If every time I'm able to give $100, I give $100. If every time I could give $4, I give $4. Eventually, God's going to use me in awesome ways, and I'm going to reach that. And 13 years later, this week, Mm, mm. she reached bringing 100 (laughs) Jewish people to Israel. And I called her right when she reached that milestone. And I said, (laughs) you'll never believe it. You reached it. You brought 100 (laughs) Jews to Israel. And I'll never forget she started crying. 
crying, Bishop. She started crying. Of course she did. And the first words that came out of her mouth were, now I can meet the Lord and tell him that I did my best. <laughs> I get it, man. I get it. <sighs> wow. You know, there the, are the, the scriptures tell us. us. Yeah, the, the, the scriptures say, you know, there's coming a moment when God will look at us and say, well done, good and faithful, faithful servant. servant. Not just welcome home. Yes. You know, yes. to hear God say welcome would be awesome. But he says, <laughs> well done. You had that a means mission I and did you fulfilled something. it. Yes. Boom. Boom. So I that that precious lady, you know, she for her to be able to lie down, and I said to you one time, and, and there's, there's a whole other definition to this, that you know, and, and people like me are just beginning, the righteous Gentile. And I said, I'll never be a, a righteous Gentile, but I think I, I can see them from here. And uh, it, what that means for Christians is just that you, you're becoming part of the Jewish conversation of, of trying to save Jewish lives and to... to uh, to, uh, to be a part of what God is doing in the Jewish people. And, and this precious lady, she stepped into it. She stepped into a conversation and yes. she, she had to say, I can, I can rescue one Jew somewhere. Right. And if I can rescue one, I can rescue yes. two. And if I can yes. rescue two, I can rescue five. And if I can yes. rescue five, I can, re that's how it goes, man. Yes. And regarding the righteous Gentile, I uh, very rarely uh, disagree with you, Bishop. But as I told you when you said that last time, I if there is a righteous Gentile, it is you and hope and so many of our fellowship friends. And one of the teachings that inspires me so much is that there's an ancient spiritual teaching that says, when we go up to heaven, God doesn't look at us and say, why weren't you like Moses? He looks at us and says, why weren't you like Yael? Why weren't you like Bishop? Or great job being Yael's potential. Great job doing Bishop's work in this wow. world. Wow. And so I look wow. at a righteous Gentile as today, thank God you don't need to hide Holocaust survivors in your house and risk your life wow. in order to yes. save them, even though I know you would. Today, there's a different calling. And what God's looking at all of us is, are you doing for your brother what I am asking you to do? And that's one of the reasons why the fellowship also has a project for persecuted Christians, that we yes. help them with what they need, because we have to be here for one another. And as oh, you were yeah. talking before about having that conversation and that hope within the darkness, that we could talk about faith, we could talk about conversation with God, but are we going to continue the conversation in that darkness? It reminds me of a story that happened not too long ago. Many people know that over the holiday of Lagba Omer at the gravesite of one of the big rabbis, um, there was a uh, crush and many people were killed. And I heard a story of a father that was there, we should never know, who lost two children in a matter of minutes. And he looked up to God and he said, God, I lost two children. Don't let me lose you too. And he oh. prayed that he wouldn't lose his faith from it. And so that's something that has stuck with me so much that within the darkness, within the tragedy, we should never know. We have a choice. Are we going to give up God as well? Or are we going to continue that conversation? And so as we enter 2020, 2022, where so many people are dealing with hard times, where so many people are dealing with loss of income, loss of family members, loneliness, so many hard things, how can you help us and direct us? I know you are the master of keeping hope alive. How can we keep that hope? Well, yeah, you noted a moment ago that Deb and I lost a son and daughter years ago. And to me, hope is the most beautiful word in all the human language, tikva. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, that son was Paul Francis Lanier IV. I am the third. And then, of course, I have my boy now who just got home. He's the fifth. And... Our daughter who who died, and we buried them, which was a big deal for us, we buried them the day before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it took a long time for us to be able to even, this is, sounds silly, but it, it was real, to even look at poinsettias again. 
anything that was a reminder of, of Christmas for us. Uh, I, I was in the emergency room and, and to see all the cheap, you know, Christmas decorations and to hear the songs coming through the speaker. And, and it's, Christmas is all about a child. And we were going home without ours. And uh, so when we, when we, we buried the children, nine months later, we started the Ministry of Hope community and i said i want to call it hope because it's three things everybody needs to believe everybody needs to belong and everybody's called to become and so there were you know there were very few people we we had our first service in a hotel lobby or a breakfast room uh started so very small and and when we were able to to have another child her name is Hope as well, Kaylin Hope. Um, who is God to us? And he's not Santa Claus. Um, he's not a genie in a bottle. Uh, he, he knows us at our most irreducible essence because he made us as the psalmist says i think it's 139 that you know i you knew me in my mother's womb and um you don't just know my dna you gave it to me and thy word have i hid in my heart god has given us so many things that we we stroll past and we shelve them. But he's given us his word. He's given us one another and the power of agreement, confessions that we can declare that you are the one God of Israel. You are the Lord of all. Is anything too difficult for you? Nothing is too difficult. And for me, I can't afford to go looking for God in a crisis. I look to God. So the God who gets me through the night is the God I was trusting in the morning, in the day. And for me in my walk, I have to, I, I'm, I'm determining my tomorrow's victory today. And that can sound cliche, but it, it, it really is. If he's eternal and he is, if he has a, if he is God and he is, then he has a plan for my life, and he does. And if he does, either I'm in it or I'm not. And so making sure if my steps are ordered, am I stepping as he orders? So for me, when it comes to hope, it's, it's, um, it's knowing I belong and that I believe uh, as Job, you know, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. I don't understand everything. There are some things, you know, when the kids died, people said, well, you can ask God when you when you get there. And I said, why would I do that? The only question I'm going to ask when I get to heaven isn't why God did this happen, but where are they? <laughs> I want to see them. I don't care anymore why. Um and I was dealing with a, a, a tragedy this morning, literally moments before you and I began talking and helping speak to a family of great faith and speaking to a family yesterday of a, a horrendous anguish that they're going through. But I said to them, let me just remind you, because crises have a way of trying to, to steal from us the knowledge of not only who God is, but who we are. And so let me tell you who you are. I have a right to tell you. I'm your pastor. Mm -hmm. Wow. You're a man of God. You believe wholly. You walk in the scriptures. His spirit is in your heart. His word is in your mouth. His angels are by your side. You walk and live in covenant. You dwell outside yourself. You don't get sucked into the crisis of your situation, but you're continuously pouring out. So I won't allow it. I won't allow it. I forbid it as who God has put me in your life, I will not allow this situation to diminish 
or dilute your own sense of self in this. Mm. You are great in God and God is great in you. Amen. And so I, I think settling those issues on the mountain don't make it easy, but it makes it possible to get through the valley. Wow. Bishop, for the world's sake, I hope this podcast reaches every single person. <laughs> you are an inspiration. And I want to thank you so much, Bishop, within your busy schedule, your many, many, many uh, passions, obligations, and people and places that need you. You always give so much time to me, to the fellowship, to the ministry. So thank you once again for joining me today. And from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for the prophetic, amazing achievements that you've accomplished in such a short amount of time. I now, know can I can I say this? Can I just please. say this quickly to please. congregations, not just yes. to hearts, to congregations? Yes. It's time you make Aliyah. Hmm. It's time you make Aliyah to the Hebrew scriptures. It's time you make Aliyah and cross over Hebrew. It's time for you to know the God of Abraham, Isaac. And the, the Hebrew scriptures are not a means to an end. It is who we are. And so hmm. it's time for you to make Aliyah into wow. your truest identity. Thank those you, roots, so those roots. Wow, Bishop, you've connected to the roots, and that's how you've gotten to know Jesus so much better. That's how yes. you've gotten oh, to yes. know your faith in such a deep way. And so I know as I listen to you, Bishop, I know that we need you here in this world, on this earth for so many more years. But when the time comes, the master of the universe will certainly look at you and say, well done, God's good and faithful servant. Bishop, thank you for being you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Conversations with Yael podcast. If you like what you have heard, please check out my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, that explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith with inspirational and ancient teachings. You can also visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. Follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next month.